Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm Ethan Waldman, and my guests today are Alexis Stevens and her partner, Christian Parsons. Alexis and Christian are filmmakers, DIY tiny house dwellers, and community educators. They live nomadically and have the world's most traveled tiny house on wheels. As co-founders of Tiny House Expedition, they are inspiring others to redefine home and rethink housing through thought-provoking storytelling, resource-sharing, and educational events. Their work includes the educational documentary series, Living Tiny Legally. Alexis and Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, Ethan. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for being here. So I thought we could start, actually, with that Living Tiny Legally documentary. What was it that motivated you to start working on it and what has kept you going on it because it's now it's been a couple of years right yeah it's been I can't believe how much time has gone by um three years ago uh, we attended the first tiny house jamboree and we had done a little bit of traveling to date and something that came up at that event and came up um, with people we interacted with was we don't know what the legal issues are. We don't understand how to change zoning. Uh, a lot of people didn't know you couldn't just park it anywhere. And we certainly were experts. Um, so um, with a little nudging from our friend Kai Roschek, um, we decided it would be a really great idea to create an educational documentary about what the obstacles are, but most importantly, how those are being overcome. And that kickstarted... Um, this ongoing project. It was going to be one film, but now it's three. Um, and we're going to do some shorts just showcasing um, advocacy victories that are happening around the country and uh, helping people with the tools they need um, so they so more people can have options to financing and insurance and not have to worry about being evicted. And I love that about the films, that they are kind of part education and part inspiration. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, we we certainly hope so. You know, like zoning planning commission meetings are not like the most exciting thing in the world. Oh God, no. <laughs> yeah, so it it was parts of it were hard to make um, to you know to keep somebody's interest, but to say a lot of very important dry facts. You know, so we 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 tried to make it as interesting as we possibly could. And it sounds like maybe what has kept you going on it is just the fact that there have been changes and tiny houses are slowly but surely becoming more legal. Absolutely. I mean, we live in a big country and a lot of these issues are county by county, city by city basis. So it can seem overwhelming, but there really is a ripple effect of progress happening in a big way. Um, that tiny house appendix for the international residential code was a huge victory that has a lot of potential. Um, a zoning ordinance that was passed in California is now being used as a reference all around the country. So, you know, there's one thing we learned is actually the way we ended part one of the film, which is that with the fact that planners are copycats, people are very afraid to put their neck on the line and take a risk. But once someone else has done it, then you got a template that you can use. And I think that's been one of the most powerful lessons we've taken away and what's really um, inspiring and heartwarming for us is to hear stories about how advocates have seen our films and learned about what's happening in another state because 
one thing we see a lot is there's all these wonderful things happening, but people don't know, like someone living in Oregon doesn't know what's happening in Minnesota, you know, and vice versa. And so that's kind of the role that we fill in with those films and with our project in general is we're connectors. We love connecting good people and good um, efforts with one another. So would you say that there are efforts happening in all 50 states or are there still states where nobody's really working on getting the building, the IRC appendix adopted? Well, good question. We haven't quite hit all 50 states yet, but (laughs) I do think it's happening in every, in every region of our country. Um, And I, I think if we haven't heard about it or, or that doesn't mean it's not happening. It's just maybe someone has got their nose to the grindstone and is not on Instagram. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But uh, no, having a big way. Okay. My favorite appendix story right now is in Texas, which has tons of tiny house action, which is so funny as a Texas native to, uh, to hear that. And in Lake Dallas, which is a small town in the, giant metro of dfw the appendix language was adopted and amended for a movable tiny house on wills village which is the first ever and it's not done yet so i'm sure there's still lots to learn from the process but still that's like huge i mean and if that goes well that could cause huge ripple effect um like we haven't seen yet and also, one more thing, because I'm just super nerd about this, is right now there is a powerhouse group of advocates in Los Angeles who, with collaboration with the city, are on the doorstep, knock on wood, of making movable tiny houses accessory dwellings. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm just a, a little excited. <laughs> yeah. It's super exciting and I've been I've been following those updates on Facebook and I actually would love to get get Kevin on on the show to talk about it. I thought we could actually take a step back because I'm up on the appendix Q stuff and you know following the progress but I can't tell you how many people I talk to and I mention it and they look at me with you know deer in the headlights have no idea. So could you explain just like back up and explain what is this appendix business? Like, what does it mean? What does it, what does it do? Great point. And it is unfortunate how many people don't know about it, but I'm not going to blame anyone because building codes is not something people regularly study about. (laughs) You know, it's just not something that's, um, is readily available to most people, but the appendix Q is, um, an adoptional chapter, I'm just going to put this layman's talk. Basically, like an adoptable, an optional chapter of the International Residential Code, which is what's used um, in the vast majority of states, except for one or two, um, as the model building code for how everything is built, particularly residential structures, which was what we're interested in. And so what the appendix does is it addresses the biggest obstacles to building houses 400 square feet and under um, things like ceiling heights, um, emergency egress, um, sleeping lofts. Sleeping lofts have not officially been an actual thing, um, especially with lower ceilings um, that now are due to the appendix. 
but it's important to point out this is a model though this is a model building code for tiny houses it doesn't mean anything 100% unless it's adopted uh, by your state by your county by your city that's why Lake Dallas is particularly interesting because they skipped all those steps and they used it as direct imp inspiration and took the language and put it into their zoning ordinance. So this is all very can be very complicated, but in a nutshell, it gives building um, departments a reference when people call them up and now they have something to look at to say, okay, here's a building challenge. Here's something we can reference. Here's a way we might be able to um, get someone a permit. Uh, it can be used. It can be used in reference now, even though some people don't necessarily feel that way about it. But it's it worked in Lake Dallas. It can work in your community. And the other big thing is it doesn't address wheels. But like Lake Dallas proved that the language can be amended or language can be added to address the wheels. Right. It creates a legal framework to accept tiny houses that are 400 square feet or less. And then the wheels, you know, first we can get that accepted and then we can start working on the wheels, which kind of add another level of not, I guess you could say risk because a lot of these, you know, these government officials just want to do what's safe and keep people safe. And I think tiny houses on wheels, if built properly are safe, but it's a matter of convincing the government and the officials that control these laws to kind of come around and see them as safe. Yeah, exactly. And, and there is also something that, um, you know, municipalities see when they see wheels, they see something different. So, you know, they see an RV or some of them even see a mobile home, which is still completely different. But, um, the thing that the, um, IRC is, you know, it's building code. So it's something that the cities are familiar with. And to see that appendix in that building code, you know, is a real big deal for those city people. So it's a legitimizer. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Language is so important. You know, there are, if you, if you feel that you, if you built a safe home, a safe, tiny home, right. And you're a respectful neighbor, we're not against someone going looking for workarounds, right? And we just heard of a really interesting zoning workaround where an inspector came out to someone's property that had a tiny house and where they had had a complaint. And he asked, well, what, well, what is that? He's like, it's in my meditation studio. Well, the guy is an avid meditator, so it truly is his meditation studio. He also sleeps there. But, oh, the, the inspector's like, oh, that's fine. You can have as many studios as you want. <laughs> and <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. Said with a wink. <laughs> I've seen this debate, and I don't know if it's even correct to frame this question as a, you know, A versus B. But I get a lot of questions about RVIA certification or NOA certification versus Appendix Q. And for those who've not heard those acronyms, it's essentially the certifying your tiny, your movable tiny house as an RV versus Appendix Q, which is part of the residential code. So that's moving towards the single family home direction. Where do you fall on the debate? And do you see it as a debate at all? 
I recognize that it's a debate that many people I res- respect lie on different sides of or in, be- in the middle. We are more the merrier. What works where you live? You know, what makes sense to your municipality? Um, you know, for instance, in, in L.A., giant city, their building department is incredibly overwhelmed. So the the planners there saw the RBIA as a way to have a safety standard without adding more of a workload to their building department. You know, safety is important. Also, creating housing, more housing options now is important. So that works well for them. And another state, another city, that's might not be enough. So someone might be very uncomfortable with an RV standard, especially if RVs aren't really allowed in their city. So a residential code might be something they're more comfortable with. Um, so if it works, I say go for it. And I, I don't think we should, I think we should, um, we should embrace all the options, all the tools that we have to work with. I do feel the, the appendix or in the IRC is, a, is the long-term uh, goal to work towards. And I don't want that to see that being pushed to the side either. Um, and I, I do personally feel and I think a lot of tiny house builders out there are exceeding RV building standards and are building closer to, if if not to, uh, residential standards. And I, I think that's a good move. Um, you know, the the safer the safer it is, the uh, the more durable it is, uh, the better. But I do I do f- kind of chuckle to myself when when people get a little overly negative about about that debate and it's primarily because I think getting overly focused on being right or um, infighting is not something that will serve our movement well. Not at all. And that's a great point that what will work in one place might not work in the other place. And so it's more of a fork versus a spoon. You know, I like to eat... (laughs) I like to eat my eggs with a fork. Someone else might like to eat them with a spoon. And you know what? I have a a friend, Tom Stanton. He would choose a spork, you know, mix them together. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So you mentioned the Lake Dallas community. I'm curious, what are some other exciting developments in, well, tiny house communities that you are seeing right now? Um, Colorado has has a couple interesting things happening. Uh, I don't have all the details, but in Durango, uh, Colorado, uh, a tiny house village is planned there. I think it's zoned as an RV park, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. But what I'm super stoked about is that it appears to be right in town or close to town. Mm -hmm. So not a rural setting, um, which doesn't suit everybody. You know, it's nice to be able to possibly bike ride your bike to the store or something. I love that. Um, so I'm really excited to learn more about, about that one. And, um, I just learned of a, um, a place called tiny estates, which is close to where we are in in Maryland right now, um, where the owner was able to get approval for the tiny house community, um, by taking over an old rundown mobile home park, don't have all the details on that, but I'm like, oh, that sounds like a great story. 
you know, the more arguments and uh, angles that we have to work with, the better. I'm stoked on that. And uh, I'm sure there's some I'm forgetting about, but I always want to cheerlead for the the micro backyard communities. We're in an amazing one right now, part next to another tiny house, an old farmhouse uh, close to the city of Baltimore, but on the countryside. And the host um, here are friends with the tiny house owner. She's lived here for two years. She helps on the property, helps take care of the horses. They have kids who are around the same age. And it's just, it just warms my heart. And not everyone in these situations are going to be best friends, but like never underestimate the magical world of backyards. Yeah, tiny houses do tend to just bring out really cool people. So I would guess that anyone who is willing to host a few tiny houses in their backyard are probably super cool. Yeah. That's a pretty good hunch. Yeah. <laughs> so you have the most traveled tiny house. Um, first question, just how many miles are on the house roughly to date? So as of now, it's 47,000 miles. Ish. Ish, you know. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Yep, uh, pulling the tiny house. Yep, so we have we have been to 36 36 states. states. 36 states. One Canadian province. Uh-huh. We've zigzagged a few times. We're... Oh, yeah, quite a few times. <laughs> yeah. We got a couple more zigzags planned over the next year. In the Texas <laughs> twice, California like four times, Utah twice. No. Yeah, something like that. Well, it starts to run together a little yeah. bit. Uh, it's because we'd leave a state, go back into a state, and leave it again. Yeah. And when we share with people the world's most travel tiny house, you know, we're being a little bit cheeky, you know it's not that we've set out to like we're going to travel the most and that makes us amazing but i think it's fun and also you know the the number of people that we've been able to meet this way and friends we've been able to make i mean we're weaving a community network and i think something that's fun a lot of what we like to do is start conversations how can we start a conversation and get people to think about something differently what you do is you pull a tiny house into a gas station. <laughs> that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. That's how you start a conversation. Yeah. We, we have a lot of those. Brings all the people out of the woodwork. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, what, did, what did the last guy say recently at the flying J the other day? He's like, is that a living house? <laughs> I was like, yes, we live in yeah. the house. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to interpret that question. Yeah. There's a lot of weird ones. Are, are you the tiny house? Are you the tiny house nation? Yes. You had that one time. You say yes. <laughs> yeah. You but, said yes. I mean, most, most people are really super like polite and just kind of charmed. Um, but yeah, brings out all kinds. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like you're also kind of running a, an ongoing science experiment on your tiny house Um, So many of us, I mean, so many of us build these houses on wheels and move them only once or twice. I mean, mine as a finished house has probably only been driven like 20 miles. And so you are getting the opportunity to see how these things hold up over time to the stresses of moving. And I'm curious, what are some things that you would do differently if you were to build another tiny house on wheels and travel in it full time, you know, what are some improvements that you'd make for travel? 
That's a good question, and nobody's asked it specifically that way. So, um, yeah, so there would definitely be some differences. Um, we built a house that hover, hovers around 10,000 pounds, and that's the rate also close to the rating of our trailer. So I wish that we had like a, um, a, a little heavier duty or trailer. So it was something like a, um, set, uh, like a 14,000 pound trailer with a 10,000 pound house on it, just because, um, you know, the trailer's taken a little bit of abuse. It hasn't been that bad, but, um, it would just make me feel better that it was, you know, it would, it would probably just ride a little bit softer, um, on that, that kind of trailer. Yeah. Maybe require less maintenance. Yeah. Um, cause I just got to keep an eye on it all the time. I grease the wheels like at least once every six months. I, you know, I'm always checking out tires. I, I had a tire while we were in, uh, Sarasota, Florida, that the steel belt just separated from it, you know, and that, and that could be just because of something silly. Like we turned a corner and the pressure went down on that side, you know, the house, the pressure of the house went down on that side and popped the steel belt, just a little tear or something. So what's been interesting is how well our house the structure itself is held up right. beautifully. Yeah, it's all the problems have, have been with the trailer. Yep. Then nothing really with the house. You know, the there are funny things you learn. Like your house will get filthy on the road. Absolutely, oh, absolutely filthy. filthy. Uh, I'm, you know, we pressure wash it at least once a year and, and reseal it. Yeah. Um, sometimes it could, it could use maybe twice a year. Yeah. I'm, you know, thinking if we had a painted house, that might be a real pain in the butt. It, yeah, if know. we had a painted house, it. it we would just have to wash it all the time. <laughs> yeah, that would be inconvenient. You know, it's so funny to think about things doing differently. Because if we did another one, we would do it differently just because. Yeah, it would just be just because. But yeah, I would want to do a different, probably a different style, build a different style house. You know, you know, either, like you said, maybe a lighter house. Um, and even if it was lighter, still on a heavier duty trailer. Yeah. But I'm looking around our house right now. And I, there's not much I would change. So the funny thing is, we recently did some home improvements and changes. And that's what's so great about tiny houses is that you can do that. Yeah, it's um, made of wood. So Yeah. So things that weren't working well for us, you know, like our couch, for instance, that we're sitting on right now, it has storage. You lift up the lids from the top, you know, where you sit. Yeah, it's a top-loading storage. And it, this seems so silly, but it's like that's so that can be so inconvenient. And so now he, Christian turned those compartments into drawers, and it's like, oh my gosh, getting towels out and linens out is such a delight now. It's so easy. Yeah. You don't have to lift up your couch cushions anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So well, I, it was just because we'd have to take most of them off to get to what we needed. So yeah, it was just a pain in the neck. So just pulling a drawer out is just amazing. And we have a 20-foot trailer, but our house is 17 feet. And those three extra feet, we could have done a lot with. And there are times I think about that. But I would not give up our porch. Mm -hmm. I love having a porch so much because wherever we are, and sometimes we're in weird industrial places, the porch just makes it so much homier. Yeah, and it's still a place to hang out outside no matter where we're parked. Yeah, and, and I think one of the big things we have learned is... 
um, that we recommend to other people is that we want to go any larger than this for a regularly or semi-regularly traveling house. No. Um, 10,000 pounds, especially on a bumper pool, um, 20 foot trailer is probably about the max that you should go. And like, that's one thing is like you, you brought up, well, most people don't travel much. Well, I think most people, you know, that's not, um, a priority for a lot of people. Um, but, and if you are thinking about traveling regularly, you have to think about it from the very beginning, you know, yeah. do that soul searching ahead of time so that when you're designing and building your house, you can really tailor it for those needs because that is, can be very different from a house that's going to sit somewhere, uh, particularly weight distribution. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've heard some, uh, just a couple bad stories about houses on the road, and and part of it's due to the way the house was built. Yeah. So if you know if you don't have that, if you don't have that thought out before you even move it the first time, if you don't have at least a sixty forty. Um, weight distribution from front to back, let alone left to right, um, that you are going to have problems when you're traveling down the road. If too much of your weight is on the on the back of the trailer, um, as soon as you hit the brakes, you're probably going to start swinging or you know uh, swerving a little bit. And misconception, you know, in our instant gratification world, is band aid fixes like sway bars don't fix bad distribution. No, they don't fix it. They might minimize it slightly, but yeah, but they don't fix it. So weird things you learn when you travel in a wooden house. Yep, that's great advice. And and as I said before, just this this is all so new, relatively. You know, people have been building these little houses on trailers in their current incarnation for maybe the last fifteen years. So we really haven't settled on much as a movement as like no. the best practices everything yeah. is just evolving which is which keeps it so exciting yeah absolutely and you know and i think we've since we've been traveling so much and are like 100 percent into the tiny lifestyle we're just always daydreaming about well, what other things might we do in the future you know we love our house but we're like well, maybe a schoolie would be fun and we put our house somewhere Maybe we do a teardrop or maybe we build a bigger house to, for when we get older, like a bigger tiny house. You know, like I love talking to people and you're like, yeah, you know, maybe one day we'll do a 20 footer, 24 footer. And people, it's like people who aren't into this are like, you're crazy. You're like, no, those four <laughs> extra feet or seven in our case would be huge. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's amazing. That's a great point because when I built my tiny house on a 22 foot trailer that was on the bigger end of tiny houses. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> I'm sure for you as well, like your tiny house was on the bigger end of tiny houses. Yeah. And now both of our houses are tiny. Yeah. Small. Totally. Oh my gosh. The number of 30 foot plus houses out there yeah, kind of blows my mind. And like, if it works for you and your family, like two thumbs up, but it is it is amazing because once you're in a small space for a while, and I know you can relate to this, and then you go into one of those thirty foot houses, you're like, "Damn, this is a mansion!" It's a mansion, <laughs> huge. <laughs> Living large, huh, guys? <laughs> I feel that way about the schoolies, which are what seem to always capture my heart at these tiny house festivals. Is like on the outside having this like matte green or gray school bus 
which just, you know, aesthetically, it's hard to make a school bus look cool. And then you walk into these things and they are decked out and like luxury apartment on wheels. Yeah. That's such a great way to put that. Yeah, totally. That's how I felt when we saw um, our friends a Midwest Wanderers schoolie. Yeah. It looked like a spaceship on the outside. <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't even painted yet. So it was a little bit of Bondo and some raw metal and stuff and some RV windows. You walk inside and it's like the cabin of your dreams yeah. and a whole wooden roof. Every, it was, it was beautiful. And it was also, um, I couldn't touch the roof. They had raised the roof so high that I couldn't even touch it. And you're tall. Yeah. I'm tall. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was super cool. Yeah. Oh, and this is what reminded me. My, I have a son, Garrett, who's 11 now. And after he saw Alex Eve's converted box truck that he did with Deke, um, he's like, forget a tiny house. Cause he already drew up his plans for a tiny house, which was really sweet. He's like, I want to do a box truck. <laughs> he's like, he's like, you, you skip like a, six steps at least with preparing to travel. He's like, you just get in it, put go. the key and go. And I was like, well, that's cool, man. You know, like go for it. And he's really jazzed up about it. He was really sincere about, mm-hmm. <laughs> about it. Maybe that'll be his first car. He'll skip owning a car and go straight to owning a movable house on wheels. That would be awesome. That's kind of a great idea. That is a great idea. Because he becomes a moody teenager. <laughs> go, to, go to your truck. It's perfect. <laughs> go to your truck. <laughs> <laughs> hey, give me the keys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> One thing that I like to ask all of my guests are, what are your three favorite or most inspiring tiny house resources, books, videos, documentaries? What are three things that you recommend to others? Oh, uh. tough question. There's so many good ones out there. Okay, well, the first thing that popped into my head is tinyhousebuild.com, the Morrisons. It's just a treasure trove of information for DIYers and for following the, all the twists and turns with the appendix adoption. So that I highly, highly recommend to, to people. Um, see what else the work of Lloyd Kahn, um, is excellent for inspiration on all kinds of tiny structures, every shape and size that you could ever imagine. Um, he's been a big influence on on a lot of a lot of folks and been at it for much longer than all of us um and hmm oh gosh what else christian you choose a lot choose one um i just like anything that deke has done because you know if you're into yeah if you're into um you know recycling and reusing stuff which i totally am all everything that um Deke puts out there, you know, is is done with reused and recycled stuff. And it's just, he's just got a good way of putting things together and he just makes beautiful structures and and it's just a, a, a cool way of, you know, looking at uh, building a thing like a tiny house. Oh, and one more. Um, there's so many wonderful advocates out there that I admire, but um, one big advocacy crush is my is our friends at uh, Latch Latch Collective and the Tiny Advocacy Network of LA? They put out uh, on a regular basis great resources on their website, great workshops. 
from building to how to approach your city uh, and uh, stuff that no matter where you live, that, that could help you. And I highly encourage you guys to look them up. Uh, again, it's Latch Collective. Awesome. Thank you so much for those. And Alexis and Christian, thank you for your time today. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank man. you. It's great talking with you. Yeah. And I hope to see you soon. We will see you soon. You've been listening to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast with Ethan Waldman. Like what you've heard? Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much to Alexis Stevens and Christian Parsons for your time today. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to Alexis and Christian's recommended resources at thetinyhouse.net slash expedition. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house, and it comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars with Tiny House Decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD coupon code tiny for 20% off. That's all. And I'll be back next week with another episode of the tiny house lifestyle podcast.